0: This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 8th of January 2019, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is John. Here's my all new news
1: guy, Dave. Hello, hello, hello. You got a lot of news, right? Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, we got a lot of news,
0: which is good, because starting the year, we have to start from fresh. Uh, Before we go into news, quick reminder about our DataWorks Summit Melbourne free ticket giveaway. There should be some tweets coming out from me by now, so you should have all the information to get those free tickets. Uh, Don't delay. It happens on the 6th of February, so that's happening quite soonish now. So probably going to be the last week when you still have a chance to get those free tickets. Indeed. Any other housekeeping stuff from you?
1: I don't think so. What I really want to know is how can AI make me happier at work? Well, apparently it involves a lot of nudging. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the thought of being nudged by an AI is is not very appealing on the outset, but, but do attempt to convince me.
0: Uh well before the hashtag uh, me too happens for AI, uh this this is an article I found on the, the Daily Mail in the in the code.uk domain range. So that's a UK newspaper. Which uh, Well is
1: titled, I am not sure I'd say newspaper, but am wow. sure carry it's on. It's called a rag. That's that's, the, that's the, word, right? the news rag or something? Yeah,
0: that's that's about right. Hey, they're talking about AI, they're talking about Google, they're talking about nudging, it's all in one word. I'm just gonna read the title now. Can an AI keep you happy at work? ex google team reveals software that nudges workers with messages throughout the day. And this article actually talks about a startup called Humu or Humu or however you want to pronounce it. I first read it at Hummus, but that wasn't it. <laughs> it's actually a company startup uh, with uh, people from uh, Google who left Google and started their own thing who I uh, think they have found a, a hole in the marketplace where AI needs to nudge people to work better or at least be happier workers. And the idea is that they train a machine learning model to decide to, 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 I don't know, to... to figure out when he has to send a text message or an email to a person to remind him to do something he should be doing anyway i'd say (laughs) because if you look at the examples in there one of the examples they give them is uh, for example that a manager should ask input from his employees or that a uh, employee should ask questions to his manager so and i don't know personally i already get enough spam in my mailbox how about you
1: Uh, So another one of the examples was In today's team meeting Try speaking up in the first 10 minutes You'll look like a leader (laughs) And another one is In today's team meeting Ask quiet team members What they think Um, I mean, on on the whole,
0: the ideas aren't bad because, I mean, probably you've you've had this kind of corporate meetings as well where you have to be all-inclusive and think aloud and blah, 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 and be reaching out to people and stuff. But having an AI sending you notes about this, I mean… I mean, where I work, the, the new uh, wave of uh, being cool is have your laptop closed in a meeting, not having your phone in your hands during a meeting, but actually paying attention.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite. I mean, honestly, the the more amusing thing about this uh, about this entire article is is the comments section <laughs> <Yes>. and. Um, <laughs> one of one of which is um oh sweet jesus i can't tell you how happy i am that i'll be dead in just a couple of decades probably less <laughs> and then someone else responding to it saying nudge hi don't forget you'll be dead dead in a couple of decades probably less nudge have a nice day <laughs> i mean just yeah, yeah. i i I, don't know. I yeah i'm i'm not really sure that that's quite the what we want out of out of ai also if you're the kind of company that thinks you need to deploy
0: this yeah
1: how little faith do you have in your people i mean mean, that that, is that's that's kind of it isn't it You, you should really i mean things like um you know people speaking up or or managers you know asking employees thoughts so that's kind of that's what being a good manager is exactly, exactly. exactly. That, that's their whole reason to exist is, hmm. yes. So I'm not sure that uh, that uh, I'm totally on board with that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, it's not entirely new, right? It's a, an
0: iteration on an existing thing. Cause I'm not sure if you have this, but uh, with the Exchange Outlook uh, email calendar combination thing. I now get emails from the system (between air quotes) about how much uh, focus time I had last week and how much time I spent in meetings and who my frequent conversation partners are and how I should change that. So it's not as bad as this is, but I'm already kind of I don't know irritated when I get that mail. And to be honest, I don't really read them that often. Don't tell my boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this, this is just going all forward, forward on, that, on that, that, that lane already. So what I'm thinking is, what's the next thing going to be?
1: <laughs> it's just going to do, the, do it for you. It's going to speak <laughs> up. I think Jan has something to say, said the <laughs> AI. Shout out to Dave because I think he has something for <laughs> <laughs> It's like, we'll replace all good managers with an AI that just kind of does that, does that job instead.
0: Hey, to be honest, we've always said that the humans are the weakest link in any kind of automated process. So this is maybe a step in the right direction on that point.
1: Yeah. We just take the, instead of it being the thing that nudges, it just does it. There we go. <laughs> take out the middle man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Not sure I'm not sure I'm totally on board with that.
0: Um, uh, listeners, if you are on board on that, there's a company called the humu.com. It's on the web, you can ask a demo, you can request a demo on their website and they have some very inspirational photos on there and a lot of people that are actually involved with love, don't ask me how that works, because you have people that are involved with product, people that are involved with people science and a lot of people that are involved with love. So I guess it's a good way to start the year.
1: Right. Please talk (laughs) nerdy to me. (laughs)
0: Oh, come on. You told me I had to give you stuff that was juicy and interesting and fun. And now you have to. You're making me talk about technology. Well, okay. I'll, I can be persuaded. Uh, let's talk about the Hive Warehouse connector use cases. Is okay. nerdy enough for you?
1: That's quite nerdy. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, actually, going back a bit more serious here, I hit on this uh, through the data engineering emails I uh, still regularly get. And actually, Apache Hive Warehouse Connector didn't ring a bell to me. I know that Hortonworks has been pushing Apache Hive into the warehouse space more and more, but the Apache Hive Warehouse Connector, that kind of made me pay attention. It's a blog on the uh, Hortonworks blog site, and it's talking about a new feature, at least it's a new GA feature in Mm -hmm. uh, HTTP 3.0. I know HTTP 3.1 is out by now, but this is just an Hadoop 3.0 kind of thing. And it talks about a way, yet another way, of accessing Hive tables from Spark. Now, there's been a couple of iterations on that uh, on that road in the past few years. You had, uh, remember Shark? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hive on Spark or something like that. And then you had uh, the Hive uh, contexts and SQL contexts. And now you have the Apache Hive Warehouse connector. And it actually looks kind of interesting. Uh, the blog is quite good, actually. It's uh, well laid out. It's clear. It explains things, has examples, has code snippets. It's a uh, pretty well blogged. So kudos to uh, Eric Wolstatter and uh, well, Hquon, which is probably a short of a other person's name. Just click on the link, see if something better comes up. Datan uh, apparently. Didn't have anything to do with Hquon, but doesn't matter. It's a good blog. And it looks like this is only made possible because of Hive LLAP becoming uh, part of the family there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this uh, probably means that uh, CDH is not going to be able to use this because they don't do LLAP as far as I know. But the benefits of this thing, and I'm not going to read through the blog. I mean, uh, listeners can do that by themselves. But the things that my takeaways from here are that the biggest advantage here is that you can actually enforce your ranger policies for uh, column uh, hiding columns or uh, abstracting columns or hashing stuff or things like that to keep that available while, when you're accessing your hive tables through Spark. Because before, when you're doing Spark SQL using the Spark sessions... Uh, you can still read data from your Hive tables. Uh, the Spark SQL understands O R C. It can use your uh, Hive metastore to, to figure mm. out the schema information, but it doesn't actually use Hive Server two, so it never hits the Spark uh, sorry the the Ranger plugin that's in Hive Server two to enforce yeah. those rules. So if you paid a lot of attention at your security layer on the on the, the let's call it the warehousing uh, way of your data structures, so on the Hive layer the moment you give people access to that data through the Spark sequels or the Spark session, you can bypass all that.
1: The the only thing that would uh, that would take effect would be if you had an underlying HGFS policy that covered that particular data, isn't it? Uh, HGFS ACLs at that point, but that's on the file level. So
0: things like, and I love the dynamic ranger policies where you say if Dave reads this table, uh, obfuscate all the serial numbers. Mm-hmm this is something that happens on the fly and you cannot put it in ACL. Yep. The whole idea of big data means it's 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 not manageable to put this down in strict ACL-like features because that means duplicating data. You have the secure version of this data set and the non-secure version of the data set and then you need a semi secure version. Let's make another copy. And the answer kind of helps you avoiding all those data copies by doing this dynamically on the fly and reasonably fast. It doesn't really slow you down that much. So it works pretty well. Of course, doing this in Spark uh, is a problem because Hive, even with the um, replacement of MapReduce with the uh, DAGs, it's still slower than Spark wants to be. Here comes LLAP because this data warehouse connector thing actually will talk to the LLAP demons to get the pieces of data, the 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 the, the input splits, if you like. The rangerize them first, then give those to the executors in Spark environment so that each Spark executor gets a little piece of data. And at that point, it's a data frame. Now, from the text, it's not exactly clear, but I do think I understand that it's a move once. So once the data gets moved from through your Hive server, ranger, LAP daemons to the executors, they're no longer connected to the data set in the Hive table. So if at that point something changes on the, the data on the backend there, that will not be reflected onto the data frames. It's not clear in the text, but I don't think that's how it works. But apart from that, it uh, seems to be a very nice way of working. It uh, works for LAP, as I said. It also works on transactional tables. It allows you to use asset tables in Hive, which was not possible with the Spark SQL approach. But even with the Hive context, you couldn't do asset uh, transactions. But this uh, seems like it's all gonna work pretty well. It does a kind of JDBC kindish uh, connection, which makes it, yeah, use Hive server under the cover and everything. So it's, uh, it's nice. I've got a couple of links in the show notes. I've got a link to the the, the blog post, of course, but I've also put in a link to the actual documentation uh, on the Hortonworks HTTP documents website that gives more in-depth information. But personally, I found the blog more uh, reader-friendly than the pure documentation, which yeah. I guess it's normal.
1: It looks like um, Apache Arrow is used as the, uh, the format, the data between the LLAP daemons and the, and the Spark executors as well.
0: Uh, yeah, that's just, uh, I mean, the LLAP daemons and the executors need to do some memory talking to each other, from, mm-hmm. uh, pass, but pass data through memory, and they're using the Arrow uh, protocol for that, the Arrow uh, uh, schema. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, why the hell not? Arrow's been used for a couple of other things as well, so uh, yeah, yeah. works well. And it actually also has streaming uh, included in there as well. No, I'm not entirely sure if. Well, yeah. The the example the example I have i read it this morning so I have to rethink again, but the, the thing is that the data comes in and they stream it into a hive table, which is a a useful use case I'd say.
1: Yeah. And I think I think I'm pretty sure you're right uh, as your supposition earlier that once the data is in Spark it's, it's there for you yeah. to continue to use because it does mention um, that the result set is available natively for spark and can be cached persisted or further processed yeah, so yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. also interesting is if you look at the code snippets and this is great uh, radio again the second <laughs> code snippet which says uh, oh. val df equals hive execute query select start from crimes next line df.filter year equals 2000 or year equals two thousand ten dot show this uh, is a nice example of how the lazy execution of Spark works. The first line, where you actually define your data frame, doing the select star from crimes, doesn't do anything. It's the dot show at the end of the second line that actually makes your data frame uh, materialize itself. To misuse the materialized word, uh, and in the end, it'll do one query. Select star from crimes where year equals two thousand year twenty ten. So it does do the uh, predicate pushdown towards uh, your 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 hive uh, uh, hive server optimization. Yep. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, there was one exclusion. Yeah, join and aggregation operations are applied by Spark on the resulting data sets. So while it does do the predicate pushdown, so it avoids you pulling data to the Spark environment that you won't need. Yeah joining and aggregating i mean joining is never a loss because you still need all the data you just want to have it in one place, so putting that on the spark side yeah makes sense i mean why not the aggregation on the other hand is a bit of a uh, they don't explain why because of course if i just want to have the average of a billion rows this would mean it will copy over a billion rows and then do the average in spark mm, not entirely sure why that's still
1: done that way I would guess it's just a version 1.0 restriction.
0: I don't know. I've looked around a little bit and actually in the documentation, I couldn't quickly find uh, um, anything relevant to that. So it's only just below below that code snippet I just read Mm -hmm. in the two paragraphs down there. It just says, on the other hand, join and aggregation operations are applied by Spark. And that's about the... Yeah, the only uh, thing I see, and I think it's probably because of the way SQL gets executed, because I don't know by heart, but uh, the whole SQL syntax has a, s- a certain kind of logic in it where certain things are done in certain steps. And yeah. I could be totally wrong here, but I think I remember that aggregation is always on at the end of the whole SQL interpretation. And at the moment that if the aggregation needs to be done after the joins, obviously, you can't aggregate before you do the joins. And if the join happened in Spark, that means aggregation also has happened in Spark.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But that does mean that if you're doing this kind of stuff, uh, as always, knowing how things work under the cover will help you make better software, to help you make you uh, make a better performing solution there. So keep this that, that kind of stuff in mind. Yep. But um, all in all... I mean, again, this is something I hadn't heard of before, and I do try to keep uh, up to date on this stuff, so I'm assuming our listeners also have one or two people that haven't heard about this yet. It really looks good. Uh, It doesn't uh, make uh, uh, Spark SQL or the Spark session, I should say now, um, uh, no longer necessary because it's still fun to just talk SQL to data frames even if there's no database involved. But if you are getting data from Hive, this actually one makes things easier because if you just look at the first code snippet how easy it is to just connect to the database and get your data in it's a couple of lines of code it's very easy and most importantly your security gets beefed up
1: all good all good things
0: yeah i got one more link in the show notes it's actually a link to the blog of russell spitzer and it's an older one that one so that's not what i'm talking about but uh as I started here, we've had a Shark, we would had a sequel, Spark SQL, we had Hive context, and now we have this. It kind of started to get really muddy for me. What happened? How? What is now dependent on what? And that blog is actually a nice, uh, slightly historical view of where this all came from and how when it all changed and why it's changed. But that mm-hmm. blog doesn't really talk about the data warehouse connector because it's a blog from twenty sixteen, uh, okay, um, yep. twenty seventeen, May twenty seventeen. But uh, if you're if you like me, kind of lost <laughs> in the woods, it was a good, easy to follow. This is the this happened then, and then that 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 that, and this uh, new warehouse connector is uh, well the next step on that road again. Good stuff. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to, to play around with this, but I haven't really played with Hadoop 3.0 yet.
1: Okay, that is still fun to come. Yeah, things look forward to in
0: 2019.
1: <laughs> Indeed. So next up we Talk have to me
0: about how I should do machine learning better.
1: Well, yeah. So I mean the the title of the to- the article is Artificial Intelligence Has a Probability Problem. Um and I mean the the sort of the catalyst for this, if you like, is um this is from a little bit a little bit uh, earlier on um, last year, November twenty-ninth, twenty eighteen um, AWS announced Amazon SageMaker Ground Truth, uh, which isn't a herb planting and distribution <laughs> service, um, but is in, d- instead um, it's designed to create training data sets and machine learning. Now the 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 premise here is that Ground Truth um, uses machine learning in addition to humans to automatically label a training data set and the sort of the article is talking about the fact that if this uh, this particular service um you know puts training um metadata around your data set labeling it and so forth with sort of 90% accuracy and then you run the model and you only accept results that are over 90% accurate then you're introducing more and more sort of variants into, um, into your overall sort of end result. Now, there have been a number of solutions over the last couple of years that have done sort of probabilistic um, I mean this article uses the term machine learning data catalogues, MLDCs, that provide some sort of probabilistic or fuzzy matching or automated training data annotation. And this is just sort of calling out the fact that um, surely if you're applying some sort of probabilistic um labeling at the start and then relying on that training data as your, um, as your gospel truth, as it were, mm-hmm. then surely you're introducing just more and more variants. Now I don't disagree with it, but I thought that was kind of obvious. That's the, that's the limitation or the danger if of not having um, proper validated um, training data. Surely that's that's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah,
0: I mean, I've been reading through the article myself, and to be honest, I have a bit of a problem with their word structure because they're kind of be doing some circular logic in here. But if the end gist of it is that uh, if you don't have enough labeled data, have a machine learning algorithm label data for you, <laughs> um, again, maybe coming back to our first article, getting the human out of the loop may be a good thing, but in this mm. case, I would be very hesitant to trust that. And also, in the first paragraph, it says that ground truth uses machine learning in addition to humans, but it doesn't give you any kind of okay, who does what? Does the computer yeah. do a, a first run and then the human has to look at it if it works okay? Yeah. In that case, well, just let the human look at it and don't use the computer. If you're using the ground through to do all the obvious ones and have the human do all of the difficult ones, well, the obvious ones are the ones you don't really need. Because you, I mean, you, you, I'm starting from the proposition here that you have some corpus of labeled data to start with. Because if you have no data at all, I don't see how this is going to work. Because that machine learning algorithm that does the labeling will also need to be trained using some kind of labeled data. So I'm I'm very skeptical here because it does feel like you're going to uh, accentuate yeah. any kind of bias already present in there even further.
1: Yeah. So I've actually had a had a, a quick poke around at this, and so uh, uh, Amazon SageMaker Ground Truth, which by the way is a horrible, horrible name for a product. I mean, I realise when you have so many products that you just need to make up a new name every day for a brand new product, you you must be sort of scraping the edge of the barrel, but. Dear God, that's bad. Anyway, Sage
0: maker, um, the maker of sages. What more can it be?
1: Yeah. So it it actually uses it has integration with the Amazon Mechanical Turk as well. So that's that's how the um, so they talk about access a public workforce of over five hundred thousand yeah. labelers via integration with the Amazon Mechanical Turk. Yeah. Alternatively. If your data requires confidentiality or special skills, you can use professional labeling companies pre-screened by Amazon. So there's that's what the um, human labeling component is—either Mechanical Turk-driven or um, professional data labeling companies as well. So I, I think you're right. I think it does. Um, it's the the easy stuff is done by ground truth using its machine learning model that presumably was also trained on some sort of data somewhere somehow (laughs) i mean was it trained using data that it trained itself who knows but um inception achieved yeah indeed but then anything that um the active learning model cannot confidently label is then redirected to the quote-unquote humans Mm. so yeah and and I think you were probably about to say that some of the uh, sort of, um, some of the, the uh, not statistics, but some of the analysis of, of the results of uh, labeling stuff through Mechanical Turk that's been done over fairly recent years have not been terribly stellar as
0: I remember. Now, I mean, human. Tur- the, the Turk is good if you're doing something for, I don't know, a thesis. Uh, you're doing a scientific project and you need some data, but nobody's going to live or die or lose his home because of your model. Then, yeah, sure, whatever your data says is yeah. good, and you can test and show that it works and great. But if you're doing, I don't know, fraud analytics or loan approvals or health you don't want to go to the low cost uh, supplier of, yeah. I mean, yeah. Hotel reviews.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Because that's what
0: they're being used most for to make fraudulent reviews on uh, all kind of e commerce sites to make your uh, satisfaction scores go up. Indeed. I don't know. Um, yeah. It has. Yeah. Intelligence has a probability problem. I agree with that. I think Sage Major also has a problem. Let's keep it at that.
1: Yep. I, I at think that that's. There. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's a very very valid uh, conclusion. So I think I think we should wind this up by you telling us how to make lots of money.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a good one. I mean, you always say how people, how big data should be either making money or <laughs> or saving your money. Well, yeah. this is the most direct way to making your money using big data, uh, mostly Kafka. And this is actually uh, a bit of fun to be honest. But apparently, there's a uh, open source uh, initiative at the EU, European Union, to fund bug bounty programs. And there's a new version that's been going on for about three or four years now. The first year that they use... They, they, also, they focus on open source projects and then give out bounties if you find bugs. And I'm presuming here they're talking about security-related uh, issues and not about, uh, I don't know, memory overload. That would be a security or, yeah. thing. Uh, but the first year they focused on VLC Media Player, which is an interesting choice because, yeah, EU, the, the European Parliament has a lot of video... Um, assets and apparently it's vlc media the year after that they used HTTP. they used to focus on http and um, keypass which is a uh, password manager uh, up until now for us big data people not really anything interesting there but haha, this year there's 14 projects that uh, actually have a chance to make some money and apache kafka is one of them and if you're finding bugs between uh the 1st of july and the 15th of august 2019 i think that's how i think the dates are spelled in the uh, in that way uh then uh, you can actually get no a, no it's uh, the it's 7th the of
1: january, uh, 7th of course. january yeah first
0: half year of 2019 so uh, start today haha <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, if you find stuff in kafka you can actually make fifty eight thousand euros Huh. Yeah.
1: That's oh. that's actually a quite a serious chunk of money, and so this is the uh, the FOSSA, the uh, Free and Open Source Software Audit Project yep. that you have to thank uh, for that. But I think it's it's a really uh, it's not a um, uh, an undertaking that I've been in sort of aware of before but it's it's pretty it's pretty good i mean there, it, we should notice we should say that although uh, you get 58000 euros for a uh, a bug bounty for for kafka that's not actually the uh, the highest uh prize should we say um that, <laughs> so in in sort of third place i think um let's see what is it Uh, No, second place, we've got Drupal, which is 89,000 euros. But first place goes to Putty at 90,000 euros.
0: It's a brand new Um, thing, right? People should look at the bugs in that program.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's forever. (laughs) I think it's the fact, I mean, I can certainly imagine Putty used to securely access... Sure. Um, a whole host of devices. I can see why that Drupal content management system. Yeah, I can definitely mm-hmm. see that. Uh, KeyPass is, is the uh, key pass and well, well, the slightly strange thing is that KeyPass is uh, joint third place with Notepad Plus not, <laughs> Plus. Not quite sure how important um, a bug bounty for Notepad Plus Plus is, but apparently, I use European it, so I Union like it says it. very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm not quite sure what be what would be not secure about text editor. But hey, whatever right. floats your boat.
0: Yeah. Just one thing about Putty. If you're still using Putty out there, uh, I have not used Putty for the last three years. Uh, Putty, if you don't know what it is, it's an SSH client on Windows to reach <laughs> uh, Linux and uh, Unix and Mac OS X and kind of other operating systems ever since uh, Windows has had their uh, Linux subsystem in there, we can just open a a bash shell. I have no use for PuTTY anymore. Fair enough. Just uh, let's call that public uh, service notice here.
1: Yep, public (laughs) service announcement.
0: But anyway, bringing it back to to the big data world, if you're into Apache Kafka and you have been finding some bugs recently and haven't talked about them yet, well, it's time to go into the open and uh, get yourself some money yeah indeed links in the show notes of course going to have a link to a, a ZDNet net article which i recently found out stands for zero day net and i've also got a link to the blog of julia Rieda, who is a, a german a eu parliament person i think who is actually sharing this uh, cha- sharing i should say this uh, fossa bug bounty program so, uh, and,
1: of course, the Roaring Elephant podcast will only take a small commission <laughs> on your on your bug bounty winnings.
0: <sighs>
1: and, uh, hang on. <laughs> Are you saying that we have bugs? No, no. I mean, <laughs> occasionally my calendaring might be a bit buggy. <laughs>
0: hmm, I have no idea what you mean by that. <laughs>
1: yeah, indeed. Indeed. But, uh, All well, that that's, Indeed. That's everything from me. Anything else from you? Nope, I think we've uh, entertained our customers or listeners enough for today. Indeed, I think so. In that case, that is about all the time we have for today. Hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized Big Data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, but until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at HadoopCast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. With any thoughts... Comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave, and my name is John, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you then.